Which one did you get? It's very blue. Uh, Mai Tai. Mai Tai. Nice. Friday night. Friday Cheers. Night. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Live from the center of the earth, girth. So welcome, Emily. Last time I talked to you, we were in a slightly different setting, but still in a bar. This is true. <laughs> uh, this was during for Blood Child, uh, during Blood in the Snow Film Festival. Uh, so normally when I start these interviews, I like to kind of do like a softball question or two to kind of get the guests warmed up. But because I'm familiar with you already, I'm going to get into the fun stuff right off the bat. And I want to know your thoughts and your feelings, everything that's in your heart about the new X-Files reboot. Oh, God, I have so many feelings. I told you, I, we're getting yeah. into the... <laughs> right off the bat, yeah. like, we're getting into this. So for those of you who don't know, I've, I've been told a few times that I look a little bit like Scully. And last year, I actually did an X-Files spoof, which was one of my favorite projects I've ever done. Because I grew up watching the original show, and I kind of grew up wanting to be Scully. Mm-hmm. So I've been like an OG X-Files fan from the start. And with the reboot, especially the seasons... Or sorry, the like the episodes this season. Season 11. Season 11. I I love how much fan service it is and like little things like Mulder calling Scully adorbs mm-hmm. and just very 21st century, you know, but as usual, they're still on the nose. I don't know if you've seen last week's episode or this this past week's uh, episode. With Mr. Chuckles. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, and also just, you know, the not so underlying themes of police brutality and how bloody relevant that is to today's society. It was, but again, it's not classic X-Files in a sense where like, they kind of were, like you said, on the nose. They kind of put it out there a little bit more. Whereas I found the older X-Files episodes, they would have been a little bit more subtle, I guess. It really depends on the episode. Because I remember there's one episode in classic X-Files where Scully loses her sister, and she has this beautiful monologue about how they can track down a man that blew up a building from a single hair. That's sort of the gist of it. But they can't, you know, find out who shot a woman who was in an apartment building with witnesses, et cetera, et cetera. And just, it's that, that's still really re- relevant today too. But I mean, like with this season X-Files, we are still getting some kind of classic moments, you know, things like Mulder eating the evidence. Yeah. That's... <laughs> it's, it's something he did. <laughs> it's something he did in the original series. He just, oh, taste it. Yeah. Yeah. And once again, we have, <laughs> as good yeah. as he is, he's also very terrible in sometimes, right? So it's, yeah. he's classic Mulder. <laughs> So you're, we invited you today, and I say we because I actually have... No, normally when I do my summer layer, I'm doing it solo. I'm a big boy. I can handle it on my own. But I have a co-host today. Uh, introduce yourself and the show that you have at Girth Radio and a little bit about the show. Hey, this is Alyssa um, Santiago, and I host uh, Sweat and Salt on Girth Radio. It is a show that is predominantly the way I talk to creatives about their process, and also we get a little real about creating and the difficulties of it, and sometimes I talk about wellness, and a lot of times I talk about lady parts and lady things. Yeah. 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 And you you have interviewed filmmakers too, like yes. Porcupine Lake. Porcupine Lake. I just finished an interview with Jessica Greco. She did a short film called Jessica Jessica. That's going to be in the Toronto Short Film Festival next week. Cool. Yeah. And now back to you, Emily, because uh, we bring up filmmakers because you are a filmmaker. Is that how you describe yourself or actress? or Because you do both in front and behind the camera. So so the, the less crazy lingo is actor and filmmaker. If I'm being really technical, I say multi-passionate or multi-creative. Okay. Ah, I like multi-creative. It's nice. 
when you're doing like stuff like if you're just doing a project where you're just doing acting and then you're doing something like your uh, short film, which we're going to get into, does the one experience feed the other? Oh, absolutely. Because my background, like I started as an actor, I trained as an actor, but then as soon as I was out of theater school, I got into film right away. And one of the first projects I was on, I started as a lead actor. And by the time the project was said and done, I was co-writer, production manager, assistant director, wherever many other hats. Short film. Yeah. Short film all over the place. Yeah. But from that, I learned I can sometimes juggle multiple jobs on set and still do everything really well. Do you have a preference in the jobs and the hats that you have to wear on set? Obviously, because short film, you have to do all of them. Even in this latest project, like your name's like in half the credits. Oh, absolutely. But is there a preference if you had a choice and it was an ideal world? Is there a preference of one position or one role that you'd want to just kind of occupy? Primarily, acting is still my main passion. If So if I did choose one, it would be acting. But if I had a second, it'd be acting and directing. And the one thing I find, too, is that all of my work as an actor really informs my work as a director. So knowing how to work with actors, knowing how to bring out emotionality in different ways that's something that i feel like i have a little bit better access to maybe than some directors that haven't trained in the acting just to be able to kind of talk the language and talk through things with actors in a way that i know they're going to understand does it go both ways too where you get upset with somebody at the choices that they're making at when you're a director and you're like why would you make that choice not necessarily i'd, I'd say right from the ground up i try to cast people that I feel that we can work together well and that understand and match sort of my vision. And as well, kind of during the creative process, you know, I'll talk things through with my actors beforehand, say, this is what I'm going for. And I feel like, you know, whether it's the way I write my scripts, whether it's the people I cast, whether it's, I guess I don't really want to call it synergy, but synergy. I don't think a good word. I don't think I've really ever found myself dealing with an actor that couldn't reach what I was trying to get them to reach. And just because my inroad might be a slightly different inroad than theirs doesn't mean that one choice is better than the other. Yeah, that works. So, Alyssa, have you seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? The Jim Carrey movie? Where yes, I have. I have. Where, where yeah, he, yeah. There's a lot of feelings a, in there. A lot of feelings in there. Yeah. Um, no, I say that because I can't really remember. <laughs> but that's the whole point of the film, though. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, isn't that ironic then, that I can't remember it? Yeah. But I remember snippets of it. And I'm like, mm, yes, no. Yes, it was mostly yes. Mostly yeah, yes. mostly yes. You've seen it. You know. Yeah, I have seen it. I have seen it, but just my reaction to it. But yeah, it's a great film. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> From what you know that, I remember that part. It okay. was great. Whenever I, I leave, feelings. I remember having feelings, and I'm like, oh yeah. So I bring it up because Emily, this was one of the more influential films in terms of making this current short that you have, the life and the art of lying. So, Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was one of the kind of influential films for this uh, short that you made. What was so influential or what were you trying to take away from Eternal Sunshine? So, part of it was the approach to nonlinear storytelling, which is something that came together a little bit less in the editing of my film than maybe I first envisioned. And as well, sort of just their approach to shooting, their approach to how the characters and relationships worked, and also just the sort of... the. I'd say kind of the bittersweetness overall of the film where, you know, it's okay for these characters to be their fucked up selves. Mm -hmm. And for me, it just, it was a, again, like Alyssa said, it was a film, a, a film that I watched and I had a lot of feelings about mm -hmm. and even rewatching it now, you know, 10th, whatever time I'll still kind of take away things here and there. 
another thing that really kind of impacted me about the film was there was very much an A story and a B story. The A story was the couple's romance and the B story was about what was happening at the clinic between, especially between the doctor and his assistant. And so how do you describe your short film? What is the premise and what is the plot? Because now you've already touched on some of the themes. What does your film actually deal with? So my film is about a compulsive liar named Charlie and it's how she learns to tell the truth in the face of a health crisis. And it also very much in tandem with that, it deals with the resolution of her feelings for her best friend, Mara. I tried to kind of approach it from a very sort of real life perspective where things are sometimes messy. People will say one thing and mean another, you know, as we often do. Mm -hmm. And then as I touched on with Eternal Sunshine, I also have a, a B story that involves the doctor that helps Charlie out. And what inspired all this? Because there is like, there's some heaviness to it, right? Like, uh, I don't know how much we can give away, but like one of the characters has like cancer and her life is not going well. So what kind of inspired all of the, that kind of background? So the very first sort of iteration or idea I had for this film actually came from two separate things. Much of my life is duality. <laughs> I'm picking up on yeah. that, yeah. One thing was I had this really weird but really vivid dream and i still remember sort of the one image where it was these women in winter on this very stark beach which is an image that i bring into the film that's the opening scene yeah yeah, yeah. that's cold that looked cold to oh it yeah. was cold my yeah. actors are troopers yeah. Yeah. yeah it was a great it was a great shot though thank you yeah, yeah. it really it was um it was a really great opening too to and we film. loved it with those geese. That just, mm -hmm. like, they just flew by at the right yeah. time. Was like, yeah, yeah. So you can't pay animals to do those things. <laughs> no animals were harmed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the other part of it was I had this little bit tinfoil of Hattie, but thought, you know, what if modern medicine has cures to diseases that they're not sharing with us for whatever reason? In terms of making the film, how did you choose to cast the ladies? Because couldn't they, as some of the actresses, go to different parts or like play the same character? Or like, how did you decide who gets to be who? Who are you looking for? So I actually ran a fairly extensive casting process. My first step was anyone who applied for a role. I had them send in self tapes. From that, I narrowed it down a little bit. I watched through all the tapes that got sent. Anyone that didn't send a tape obviously got ruled out right away. I did a callback session where I actually had a lot of the actors read for one or two of the parts, depending on who I thought they might fit. Mm -hmm. And that from that, I saw who was strongest together, who was strongest on their own, kind of what the chemistry was between everyone. Uh, with my lead, Angela, I actually had a really good feeling as soon as I watched her tape. I was like, oh, I think she's the one, but I don't know. You know, you just kind of get that sort of tingly feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And I then, yeah, she blew me away. She was there for the callback. She was so present. Her performance was so vulnerable. So just everything I wanted. I was like, okay, she's my lead. Yeah. When you say that she's the one, I want to bring up, because um, in the press material for this film, uh, you bring up being uh, like a queer woman, being a queer filmmaker, and how you want to kind of express and bring up some of these, like explore some of that relationship territory. Is there enough room in a short film like this to kind of fully get into all that like all the stuff that you wanted to say the way I asked you with X-Files and you had all these emotions and feelings and a short film can sometimes be a little bit short and tight obviously because you can't fully express everything that you want to say was that a challenge to kind of get onto the screen what it is that was in your heart? Yes and no I, I will say first of all I made the mistake of making a 26 minute short film any future film filmmakers listening don't do that <laughs> most festivals will not program a film of that length so in terms of that, that was a challenge. 
But in terms of saying what I want to say, I feel like I struck a pretty good balance of that in the script, especially towards the second half of things. One of the things that I find really sort of annoying is that every queer story is a coming out story and it's, you know, 16 or 17 year old finding themselves, whereas that's not the experience. And for me, like, personally, I identify as kind of somewhere between bisexual and pansexual. So sometimes I'm just attracted to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I tried to instill a little bit of that in Charlie. A lot of it is admittedly a little bit understated. Like she has a couple lines that refer to it without talking about it explicitly. Mm-hmm. But I also think that we as people, most of us don't sit down and say, oh, I'm explicitly attracted to so-and-so and I have developing feelings for so-and-so. And what does this mean? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's always a challenge. Even if you did make a whole feature film, it's still a challenge because, like, just even when I asked you about X-Files, you had all these things that you clearly want to say. Oh, and I could talk for another three hours about that. Right. <laughs> and so then to get something even more personal about, like, relationships or being queer or any of these kind of things, it's very difficult to kind of sum all up, sum all that all up in some way that you can the audience can get... Uh, it's accessible for the audience. For sure. And I think a part of it, too, and that's really important to understand about where I feel like queer media is going is that these characters who are queer, who are trans, who are whatever identity, it's a part of who they are, but I don't think it should be the driving force in who they are. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be, you know, I'm a trans man. My life is about being a trans man. Like that just, that's a little myopic. Yeah. It's not always one-sided. Like I, and I, I find that in media sometimes there's there isn't this fluidity um, with sexuality. You're either this or you're that. But I think that's not necessarily the case. Especially, I can't speak as for men, but especially as a woman, you can feel that in friendships. And you bring this up in your film that fluidity in in sexuality and and attraction and love. You're like, oh, we're friends. Oh, but maybe I love you, and maybe I don't. I'm confused. I'm going to drink now. Like it's that oh, sort of thing, right? Like you just. You don't know, but I I think it's an important topic to kind of bring out in the open. For sure. And I think, too, especially with my own identity, bisexual erasure is such a thing. Because, you know, once you're dating a man, you must be straight. But if you're dating a woman, you must be a lesbian. Yeah. And even some of that still comes from within the queer community, as well as from the straight people as well. I got so excited. I almost knocked a drink over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I just tried, tried to address a little bit of that through Charlie as well. Yeah. And then through Mara, who's her best friend. She's the one who, you know, thought she was straight. And then, oh, no, I've stepped in feelings. Yeah. And I mean, like, in my own life, there's been a few girls that I've been, oh, are we, are we doing this? Mm-hmm. I've also been, like, the bisexual training wheels. Where? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah. <laughs> It is, and Alyssa, even you were just saying that, like, you can't speak for men, but it is true, like, there's, like, I don't know, I don't know why, but it's, like, maybe it's because we're macho dudes or whatever, but dudes yeah. always doesn't seem to have, like, the, like, I've been hanging out with this, like, I've been hanging out with Frank a lot, like, yeah. what's going on now, like. Well, yeah, there isn't that question, because then it's, like, he's my bro, he's, like, my brother. Yeah. Whereas sometimes when women hang out together, there is that, oh, but whoa I just changed my outfit three times what does that mean you're like oh I put on makeup I'm putting on makeup a lot what like you know so you're like am I going on a date I don't know am I going on a date do I want to be going on a date do I want to be going on a date uh yeah it's confusing yeah I think though too and just kind of within our society as we are now I almost feel like there's less freedom for men to be able to do that or to be able to express those feelings whereas women are expected to be softer in a way or expected Mm -hmm. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, so you you think it's um like I guess easier? I don't know what the word is. Almost easier for women to kind of go through that process. Like the what Alyssa was saying, like I'm putting on makeup, I'm like putting on like something little like risque and a little yeah. bit more fun and like you know what i mean it's not like because like when i go hang with my dude friends i just put on a t-shirt and jeans yeah and then when i hang out with like certain girls i just put on jeans and t-shirt like yeah like i think there's there's a stereotype that in in or at least in north america where women in her 20s she'll she'll explore her sexuality she'll have a female lover or not or almost and then maybe grow out of it it's a phase right? yeah it's a phase you know, like everyone wants to explore a different part of identity and that was a that was a part that was explored and you either take it or you don't and sometimes you don't have to label it but people feel like you need to be labeled and especially other people that are observing they're like oh well we have to know what to call you yeah, yeah. it's like so what are you a lesbian now and i'm like what <laughs> like you know first it's of a, all, first yeah. of all i don't like being labeled but i don't know yeah so it's it's that sort of thing right what's really interesting is that in japan actually there's what's called an s class friendship and it's between yeah. girls that are kind of in middle school and yeah. junior high mm-hmm. where it's a intimate or romantic friendship where it's you know it's okay if you hold hands it's okay if you whisper and whatever but you're expected to grow out of it it's the same for men where like um, like male friendships they'll hold hands and where you don't see that here you don't necessarily no. see men holding hands because their their friendships are so close and it's in, in their in and around the same age yeah yeah picking up on all these threads and these kind of complexities or whatever uh how how was how difficult was it to kind of like write all this out and to kind of flesh out these characters and try and figure out the backstory and like go through the because we just went through like 20 different emotions Mm -hmm. (laughs) so to sit down to like write this out and like i know charlie had that line where like no she's just a friend or something like that she kind of dismisses it Mm -hmm. like she says she's straight she says she's straight yes yeah Yeah. (laughs) something you choose to believe yeah yeah well the way it started was there was a girl because there's always a girl or a guy or a cute little envy. <laughs> yeah. And some of the emotions came from that. And this was, yeah, almost predating my move to Toronto. But between that, I went through, I'd say, probably three or four solid script drafts. Mm-hmm. I had, I, there's actually a couple of scenes that I cut out. Some before we shot, I actually cut one that we shot just through the editing process because I thought the film would run way too long if I had that one in. For me, I just, I kind of, my process is, I drink a lot of wine. Sometimes I cry a little during editing. But <laughs> <laughs> That's I, a good process. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I think uh, it happens in any type of, like any type of creation where you have to edit and cut. There is a, there's a mourning for what you, what you've lost because you created it. Yeah. Or, yeah. oh God, what have I started now? I have to finish this mess. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I'd say three or four kind of solid script drafts. And I just, I sat sort of with the feelings of the characters. And my, my personal writing process too is I always sort of point form the story before I sit and write. So that was my very first thing where I was like, what do I want to happen? You know, where do I want these people's arcs to go? The three I obviously focused on mostly were Charlie, Mara, and Dr. Simone. But just kind of figuring out who they were. I spent some time researching different kinds of cancers you know, different medical processes. That was, yeah, I'd say probably a couple solid weeks of work. And the, the actresses in the film, did they pick up on what you and Alyssa were just saying in terms of like that vibe and that, I don't know how that kind of middle ground where mm-hmm. you kind of like, where you, f- you have like these weird feelings, you don't know how to classify them and you're like, 
but she's fun and like like did they kind of relate to the material from that perspective as well did they start to pick up on those themes and like they even from their own experiences um i do try not to kind of pry too much into other people's sexuality but i would say from what i saw of them they were able to access those emotions even if they weren't their own Mm -hmm. so to me that came across pretty clearly you know it came across during our rehearsals and then obviously during the filming they were very much in the moment you know my two my two leads were very much into each other they had that casual fun flirty vibe with that little bit of tension right from the start that's great so the there's a coda at the end of the film uh i just want to read that because i thought that was really uh interesting um one of the characters says may i enjoy life and art be respected while i live and be remembered with affection thereafter and um does that almost like that almost felt more personal like with something that from you just knowing a little bit about you and just your creativity and whatever this feels like it was some it would flow from you um i mean it works for the character obviously but it, it felt a little bit more personal a little bit more emily is that accurate or yes and no i certainly didn't intend it to be that way but fun fact that's actually a part of the hippocratic oath oh is it really so that is that's a version of it and that's what doctors use to swear in when they become full medical doctors Oh, okay. So that's actually where that little monologue came from. Okay, I'm learning, see? Oh, every day's a learning. Yeah, I'm growing. Listen, what? Yeah. You learned something today. Yeah, I'm glad, <laughs> I, put, I'm glad I put on pants. <laughs> and also, that too kind of ties into the title of the film, which is a play also on the Hippocratic Oath, as well as a book called The Art of Death and Dying. So mm-hmm. that's where Life and the Art of Lying sort of comes from as a portmanteau of the two. Was this always a story that you wanted to tell or when during the writing process you had a couple of other ideas that you had kind of kicking around or other images or other dreams as you say um, that could have worked or could have been uh, substituted instead of doing this project or was this the one that you knew in your heart of hearts this is the story that you want to tell? This was one of many stories that I want to tell. I'll say that. At the time that I started writing and making it it was definitely the story to tell at the time and I think you know, I'm. I do plan to release it fully on VOD later this year, so more, more people get access to it. But it's definitely it's a story, like I said, because there was a girl. It was it was something that was mm-hmm. parts of it were def- definitely personal to me. And I think I think it's also you know by the time I got it finished, by the time it's out, it's a very timely film to speak to that as well. One other kind of fun thing was during I think during the filming process, we learned that a strain of cannabis is actually being used to treat the exact type of cancer that I reference in the movie. Oh. So there's there's a certain timeliness around that as well. Okay. Well, so I'm learning a lot today. I know. I don't huh. know if I can handle it. Yo. <laughs> uh, you mentioned video on demand, but before that happens, though, it's playing at a uh, Tron- the Toronto Short Film Festival on March 13. So that's pretty exciting. You got in there. Uh, you actually going to have a party and some stuff too, right? Like for the event. Yeah, Give yeah. us the details. Give us all the fun details. All right. So it's happening this Tuesday, March 13th, starting at 6 p.m. at the Carlton. And then our filming block starts on at 6.15. Once that's done, we're going to have a cast crew and friends party also at the Carlton. So there'll be, be some drinks, maybe some snacks. Is yeah. this the first time the, uh, an audience will see it? Or have, have people started to see the movie? Obviously, I've seen it and Alyssa's seen it. So, but like real audience, is that gonna? We've had a few screenings. So, among other things, we've screened in Africa, we've screened in China, but this is gonna be the first time that kind of the real Toronto home crowd is gonna be able to see it. So, that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. 
So that's uh, March 13 at 6 p.m. But you, in the meantime, too, you've also launched a Patreon. I have. Yeah. I actually launched it yesterday on International Women's Day. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how is that experience so far? I know it's still early, but like, is it kind of uh, what you expected or what are you hoping to kind of get out of a Patreon? Everyone has kind of different goals and agendas. I'm actually a little bit blown away because like some part of me was like, what if nobody likes my stuff and nobody funds me? But we're 30% to our first school already, which is amazing. Wow. Wow. Way to go. That's amazing. Yeah. I spent a couple months sort of developing my perks, developing my tiers. I've, I've tried to structure it. So people, people just want to support a little, they can, you know, give one or $3 if they want a little bit more in-depth look into what I'm doing, you know, where I'm sharing samples of scripts, where I'm sharing behind the scenes photos from sets. They can pledge at $10, 15 if they want to see crazy stuff from my archives. Like I have weird old modeling photos. I have older scripts. I have old press stuff. Many photos of cats. It's my life. <laughs> <laughs> and then tears that go up from there. And what are you hoping to eventually fund? Is it like another short film or longer film? Or what is it that you're hoping to fund? Sort of a myriad of projects, actually. So two things I'm working on right now that'll it'll help go towards... I'm developing a comedy web series and a horror feature film. And sort of one of my goals with this Patreon in part is just to still address the gender inequality in the film industry. So that's kind of why I launched it on International Women's Day. But as well, like this will sort of help me, you know, carve out a little bit more time to work on my own projects rather than working on other people's. And as well, one thing I really strongly believe in is giving back. So things like working with emerging filmmakers, um, working with people who have these brilliant stories but may not have budget that come from some sort of marginalized community. As much as I can, I love to volunteer on those sets. But obviously, like, I need financial stability. So yeah, it, it sort of, you know, helped me help other people in a, in a way. How important is it for you to, when you're creating a project, to have women in your project? Like, in the movie and also behind the scenes? Oh, like 120%. Yeah. The more the more w- women I can have on set and the more women I can have on screen, I am so, so happy. Yeah. Like, with Life and the Art of Lying, the only male speaking role is a couple of dudes at a party. Everything else is 100% women. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And did you, um, like, your, your director of photography and then your editor, were they also women? Well, I was actually the editor on the film. film. Oh, yes, that's this right. This time around. Sorry, yeah. that's, no, no, that's yeah, okay. Yeah. That's more by situation rather yeah. than by choice. But yeah. Yeah, would love to have a female editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine actually just introduced me to a female grip, and I'm I'm so excited to be able to hire her when I can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I try to say I want to work with women and feminists mm-hmm. because there are guys that out there that do great stuff. Yeah, through through chance, I'm married to a sound designer who mm-hmm. also does my location sound. Okay, and he's a pretty great guy. Yeah, I'm at a bar. It's supposed to be one night stand. <laughs> Clearly, worst one night stand ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But yeah, like the more I can get women, you know, especially in key roles, sort of the the not so fun behind the scenes story on this film was I actually had to fire my first DP, mm. who was a dude. Yeah. And then I had a couple of women that came in and shot some stuff and then they got busy. And mm-hmm. so this particular film actually went through four different DPs, wow. which is directors of photography for anyone who doesn't know film talk. But yeah, in that way, I was a little bit challenged in making this film. Mm-hmm. But, you know, given the chance, yeah, like love to have female cinematographer female editor yeah Yeah. we'll wrap it up there because that's kind of a nice fun positive note um so after the toronto 
short film festival. Do you have uh, any other plans? Are you just waiting to hear back from other festivals? Or are we just going to go video on demand? Or what's the next kind of steps? Still waiting on a few more festivals. And then, yeah, after that, like, I'm probably going to go either fall or winter this year will be when it's available on VOD. Okay. And then in the meantime, I have a show I was cast in, so I'm going to be acting in that. Oh, what's the show? It's part Can of, you say? Yeah, for sure. It's part of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So it's a 10-minute play happening in Hamilton at the end of April. And it's about, surprise, two queer women, one of whom is transitioning to be a man. Okay. And it's their relationship and how it affects them both. So if people want to follow you, uh, what is your socials or what is your Patreon or where can people find you on the internet, the whole internet thing? So super easy. Twitter and Instagram and Patreon. I'm Emily Schooley. Okay. Yeah, then, that yeah. was super easy. Yeah. And then I also have I've uh Facebook fan sorry, Facebook fan page, let me say that again. For Life in the Art of Lying. You could find it under that. And then Laughing Cat Productions is my production company. So that also has a Facebook page. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Emily, for coming in. And uh the short film is called Life in the Art of Lying. And it'll like I said, it'll be at the Toronto Short Film Festival, and then hopefully we'll see it surface at a few other places. Thank you, Alyssa, for hanging out and talking about lady things and lady parts. Ah, thank you, Sammy. He never yeah. invites me on. You, well it's not ne- actually never. Actually, you, this is the first time. This was the first I time. I try to get into other ones. Yeah. Yeah. You shoehorn yourself in. I, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm good. I can do this I'm on my like, own. No, I'm gonna be there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm coming. <laughs> All right. Here's radio, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Where can people find you online on the socials? Just uh, um, plug the show. You right now, this- nowhere. <laughs> no, I know. I'm horrible on social media. And- Just plug the Girth Radio one then. Oh yeah, Girth Radio. Dot com, right? And then there's Girth Radio on Twitter. Um, my Instagram is Saw Santiago. And I think that's all. Oh, Twitter, but I'm never on Twitter. I know. I'm never on Twitter. I try to be sarcastic, it's and then you're also not there. Saw Santiago. <laughs> that's right. it. That's all. All right. So thank you, ladies, for coming in. Uh, this has been My Summer Lair, and I'm Sam Yunin. Thank you.